This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The T-Biz Podcast delivers T-News that you need to know. A recap of the week's major headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. It is the voice of origin for tea professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. Think of us as a digital caravan of storytellers, bringing authentic, authoritative, and exclusive stories to you weekly from the tea lands. Hello, everyone. Here is this week's headlines. India Draft Tea Act redirects the Tea Board's mission. A global tea harvest review and tea in 22 forecast. And BOH Malaysia is named Tea Brand of the Year. More in a minute, but first, this important message. What makes a perfect cup of Ceylon tea? The perfect cup is from the tea businesses that ensure the protection of all the children living within their tea estates. We salute Kailani Valley, Telawakili, Bogawanthalawa, Harana, and Eliptia tea estates. Support Save the Children, Sri Lanka. The Tea Board of India this week published draft legislation that will minimize its regulatory role in favor of promotion and development. The proposed legislation, with Parliament's approval, redefines the board as a facilitator, a transition welcomed as progressive by industry leaders. In a formal 12-page public notice, the board, quote, proposes to delete those archaic provisions of the Tea Act of 1953 which have lost relevance in today's context, and to introduce new objectives, functions, and powers of the board so that it can act as a facilitator for optimizing the development, promotion, and research in the tea industry, as well as improve production, export, and quality of Indian tea, end quote. The announcement invites public comments through January 21st. Tea Board Chairman P.K. Besborough said, quote, The old act was based on facts which have become fallacies over the decades. That tea was a predominant export of India. That people needed planting permits to plant tea. That the government had accurate estimates of green leaf production. He cited many steps that could be taken by the board, including the revamping of auctions removal of substandard teas from the system, setting a floor price and establishing quality standards for raw leaf, a ban on unethical manufacturing policies, ensuring compliance of Indian tea with international norms for MRLs, maximum residue levels, and the identification of restrictive trade practices by some participants in the tea value chain. 
Business Insight. The government has been mulling these changes for some time, but the pandemic delayed implementation. As a regulator, the T-Board has been perceived by some as an enforcer or adversary and has been accused by the media occasionally of indulging in unprofessional behavior. The new act will redefine and remove some of the bottlenecks that have stood in the way of the sector's competitiveness, observes Besborough. A Global Tea Harvest Review the fourth in a series of 12 TN22 forecasts for the new year. Production rebounded globally in 2021 as the tea industry adjusted to the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. Tallies for the full calendar year not available, but the annual harvest will likely reach 6.2 million metric tons. That's 6.2 billion kilos, according to the Economist Intelligence Unit. Growth will slow in 2022 to 2.6%, yielding an estimated 6.4 million metric tons. Global production of black tea rebounded 13.8% to 895 million kilos during the period January through August, according to the Global Tea Market Report by market research firm Research and Markets. Production of black tea is estimated at 1.36 billion kilos compared to 1.23 billion kilos produced in 2020. India saw the biggest gains after a disastrous 2020. Malawi and Bangladesh also experienced double-digit increases in 2021. Vietnamese growers exceeded 1 million kilos, up slightly over 2020. Kenya is the only major tea-producing nation to report a year-on-year -year decline of approximately 10%. Let's break down the four major producers. In India, black tea production increased 10%, but growth was uneven. Assam experienced an 8% decline in production compared to 2019 totals for the period January through November. The state, which produces more than half of India's tea, has so far harvested 52 million fewer kilos. Growers in South India did quite well. India is expected to finish the year up 7.5% to approximately the 1,390 million kilos produced in 2019. India, which produces more than 20% of the world's tea, is considered a global hotspot by meteorologists. In August, the country experienced a 24% nationwide rain deficit, followed by a 35% rain excess in September. Last year, 12.5 million acres, that's 5 million hectares, of India's cropland was lost due to cyclonic storms, flooding landslides, and cloudbursts, according to the Ministry of Agriculture and Farmers' Welfare. China. In 2020, China produced nearly 3 million metric tons of mainly green tea, accounting for 47.6% of the world's total, despite the spring onset of the pandemic in Wuhan, near the tea-producing lands of Hubei province. Lockdowns continued to depress out-of-home demand, but producers in 2021 regained momentum with an estimated 2.5% growth. 
The Chinese government has invested heavily to curb rural poverty, resulting in a long-term average growth rate of 4.5%. In 2022, the pace will accelerate to almost 4% as China continues to adopt modern farming practices. Sri Lanka Sri Lanka experienced a resurgence of COVID in 2021, reducing harvest totals, but favorable weather enabled the tea industry to recover from setbacks in 2020. Year-on-year growth during the first few months of the year reached 18%, but Sri Lanka harvested only 278 million kilos in 2020, the lowest annual yield since 1997. While production grew rapidly in the first quarter of the year, it slowed during the summer and declined by 4.7 million kilos in October and November compared to 2020 totals. A final tally is not available for December. It appears likely, however, that production will exceed 300 million kilos. The forecast for 2022 anticipates a decline due to disruptions in the timely application of chemical fertilizer, labor unrest, inflation, and a rising cost of inputs. Kenya Kenya's agriculture, forestry, and fishing sectors all contracted in 2021. Year-on-year totals fell to 230 million kilos in the first seven months of the year. Unfavorable weather is to blame, but Kenya's tea industry is undergoing political upheaval as well. Production declined 7% during the period January through October and is likely to finish 10% lower for the year. The tea sector is expected to grow no more than by single digits in 2022 and will likely remain flat in 2023 as auction prices remain low and production costs increase. Malaysia's BOH Plantations was named Brand of the Year for 2021-22 in the tea category by the London World Branding Awards competition. 500 winners were selected from more than 5,300 nominees in 60 countries. Six tea brands were recognized, including TWGT, PG Tips, Ming Cha, and Ito In. Founded in 1929, BOH, which stands for Best of the Highlands, is located on 1,200 hectares in the Cameron Highlands at 1,500 meters elevation. The family-owned plantation annually produces more than 4.5 million kilos of commodity black, green, and herbal teas, as well as single origin and specialty teas. Deputy Head of Marketing, Aina Ramley, said that as a tea producer, quote, BOH recognizes that we owe our livelihood to the fertile soil and cool climate of the Cameron Highlands, which is highly suited to tea cultivation. Hence, sustainability remains a core value. We are consistently adopting more eco-friendly business practices and ensuring our tea packaging utilizes more recyclable and biodegradable materials to reduce waste and safeguard the environment. Business Insight 
The World Branding Forum, a nonprofit based in London, first presented the awards in 2015. Winners are judged on brand valuation via consumer market research and with public voting online. Aravinda Anantharaman in Bengaluru reports on this week's tea auction prices. India Tea Price Report for the week ending 8th January 2022. The first sale of 2022 was historic as South India opened with a new auction model, the Bharat Auction. Piloted last year, it follows the style of the Japanese auction. And despite the pilot meeting with much antagonism from the buyers, the tea board rolled out the new auction across the centres of Kochi, Coimbatore and Kunur in the south. We spoke to stakeholders to understand how they view this and whether it will benefit buyers more, sellers more or the industry as a whole. Meanwhile, sale one saw good demand for teas in both North and South India. In North India, Kolkata and Guwahati saw good demand for all tea types. Major blenders were active, Middle East was active for orthodox tea. In the South, demand and prices were not much different from the previous sale. And now, a word from our sponsor. Q-Trade understands that a successful tea blend goes beyond the creative fusion of appearance, aroma, and flavor. Our multi-award winning product development team is passionate about converting natural ingredients into sensory experiences that customers crave. Every recipe is formulated with a commercial backbone of dependable quality sourcing with a pricing structure that supports a safe, regulated, profitable, and scalable blend. Q-Trade meets every brand's retail, food service, and e-commerce need. For more information, visit our website QTradeTees.com. This week, T-Biz travels to the state of Mississippi, where tea farmer and founder Jason McDonald of the Great Mississippi Tea Company discusses the economics of mechanical harvesting following a two-year trial of selective harvesting equipment. Then to London, where Tea Book Club founder Kyle Whittington offers a modern take on a century-old classic, The Book of Tea. First published in 1906 by Okakura Kakuzo, with an introduction rich in detail and context by Bruce Richardson. Inspired by the Charleston Tea Plantation in South Carolina, Jason McDonald decided to plant a tea garden amid the timber on his 289-acre farm in Lincoln County, Mississippi, where a combination of high heat, humidity, acidic soil, and ample rainfall is ideally suited to tea. In 2012, McDonald planted a test plot making his first tea in 2015. In 2018, the tea garden produced sufficient quantities to begin selling to the public. McDonald has since diligently researched all aspects of the industry, enlisting horticultural, sustainability, manufacturing, and machine professionals to develop harvesting and automated tea processing equipment at scale. Quote, We are striving to modernize an ancient industry with innovation and bring it much closer to home, he said. The great Mississippi Tea Company is leading the way in pioneering tea science, employment standards, and cultivation in developed countries where the high cost of labor and land has discouraged growers. Thank you so much for coming on the program, Jason. I really appreciate your being part of the T-Biz podcast. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Can specialty tea growers who focus on quality over quantity rely on mechanical harvesters to deliver leaves suitable for making high-value tea? Well, I, I think they can, but we're going to have to rethink the idea of what quality is. Commodity leaf can be anything from dust to fannings to broken leaf, and then you've got the really high-end, you know, one you know, one bud that's going to command higher prices. I think that the economics are going to fall out into that mid-grade or specialty mid-grade teas. Those are the ones that pay the bills. And that type of market is really suited for selective harvesters. I think that a selective harvester would be wasted on a CTC plantation. It also would be wasted on uh, hand plucking in China. But for the the rest of the mid-level specialty teas, or the specialized uh, selective harvester has worked wonders for us uh, and, and kept quality up. So, you know, we recently were in the Australian Tea Masters uh, Golden Leaf Awards, and two of the teas that we produced using the Williams Harvester scored uh, high enough for a gold medal. And the yellow tea was actually the overall winner for yellow tea, which means that in blind tasting, uh, you know, we scored over 90%. So in the hands of a skilled processor that's able to adapt, you know, quality can actually increase and, and can also bring the price of tea down so that it's affordable for more people. During the past two years, you've conducted field trials with a selective mechanical harvester to produce 250 to 350 kilos of made tea. Will you share with listeners what you have discovered? Well, in year one, when we were doing hand plucking, we were on a seven-day rotation, and we couldn't keep up. And and it wasn't about hiring enough people or paying people. We could make it economically feasible to hire people in. But when it gets 110 degrees Fahrenheit in our field in the summer, people just don't show up. So we were losing yield. We were only getting about 100 pounds year one hand plucking. And so that's um, about 45 kilos a year. And after using the machine first year, uh, we almost 500% increase. And then we had another about 150% increase uh, after that in year two using the machine. So just in year one, our yield blew up because we could keep ahead of the bushes growing. So I guess in a short term, you know, that, you know, in, in a short answer, then it would be that, um, you know, that labor availability plays into the equation too. And in an area where you can't get labor into the fields, a machine with two people using it increases our yields by almost 500%. Will you compare for listeners the cost of manual harvest compared to the cost of operating mechanical harvesters and how it affects your final pricing? I'm curious not only about the cost of harvesting, but to prune and skiff, feed, and maintain the seven acres currently under tea. Ultimately, what wholesale retail price is required to recover that expense? It's roughly forty three eighty one a pound just for plucking. And so 
that's about $96 a kilo. Generally, there's about another $25, $30 a pound of made tea uh, for labor in the field. So you're looking at about $75 a pound or about $165 a, a kilo uh, just to be able to produce our tea if you're doing it by handmade. Our retail price is generally between about $180 and $240 a pound. So that's um, you know, about $396 a, a kilo uh, at retail. Now, wholesale is about 30% less. We're actually moving our wholesale or our, our retail, moving everything we can produce at this point through our retail market. So there's really no incentive for us to wholesale it at these prices down the line. When we have lots more coming in, we're going to have to figure out wholesale. I'm at $86 a pound break even, which is, you know, $189 a kilo. And that's doing it by hand. You know, you can make money off of that if you've only got five or 10 kilos, I guess, but do you really want to spend day in, day out? <laughs> yeah. so working oh. something to possibly make two or $3,000 a year? This machine, what it allowed us to do is that we reduced the, the cost of the plucking from 43.81 a pound to $6.14 a pound. So that's roughly 13 50 per kilo and that would cover the anticipated cost of the machine which is about fifteen thousand dollars into the u.s so if you're producing 400 pounds of tea 181 kilos you've got a machine paid for and now the machine doesn't quit working at that time so you know there's cost of of running it but i think we use less than a gallon of gas the entire summer And so it's, you know, it's minimal. Um, Now, you still do have to pay someone uh, to use, like, to walk with the machine. Uh, And so in the U.S., we pay $15 an hour uh, here, which is a uh, which is a living wage. It's actually twice the the minimum wage in the United States. When you're hand plucking, you're sorting in the field with machine harvesting. You've got the cost of actually running the machine. And then you've got the cost of sorting it in the factory. There are some pieces it does pluck that are either too small or too large, and you have to sort that out. But what that helps with our labor is when it's really hot outside, people would rather be indoors in the air conditioning sorting leaf. I'm taking investors now, a fully automated whole leaf black tea line out of China, uh, that's all run off of an iPad and automating the whole thing, being able to create a wholesale line of black tea, which could further reduce the cost down to almost about $7 a pound for us here in the United States. And what kind of volume would you have? And if you wanted to run 24 hours a day, it would be, you know, 50 kilos a day. And that's enough capacity to take care of our eventual 14 acres we have to do this it, it, if you can do it in the in the labor cost and energy costs and the regulation in the united states you should be able to do it anywhere in the world
Like art, tea has its periods and its schools. Its evolution may be roughly divided into three main stages. The boiled tea, the whipped tea, and the steeped tea. We moderns belong to the last school. These several methods of appreciating the beverage are indicative of the spirit of the age in which they prevailed. And that's a quote from the Book of Tea by Okukura Kakuzo. Hello, I'm Kyle Whittington, founder of Tea Book Club. For a book that is well over a century old, The Book of Tea remains a classic and a book that is well worth re-reading from time to time. There are so many editions out there, variously with introductions by tea aficionados, scholars and masters of the last hundred plus years. Some editions are particularly aesthetically pleasing to add to the tea bookshelf. However, the edition I always recommend is the one with the introduction by Bruce Richardson. Bruce's exceptionally well-researched introduction into the life and times of Okukura is fascinating and really helps to contextualise the Book of Tea. Additionally, the fantastic photos and illustrations help to bring both the book and Okakura's period of history to life. Indeed, whilst there is so much to get from the Book of Tea, on life, aesthetics, philosophy, architecture, spirituality, flowers, and of course, tea, understanding the context and time in which it was written is hugely important and goes a long way to a fully rounded reading experience. Four, although this is a much-loved classic and a great introduction to tea, there are parts of it that can be particularly frustrating for the modern reader. From the use of old-fashioned romanization of Chinese and Japanese words in some editions, to turns of phrase and thought that, well, simply don't fit with how we view the world today. This is why I love the Bruce Richardson edition so much. It really gives you a context for Okakura, how and why he thought the way he did, what was going on in his life, and what he was trying to express with the Book of Tea. I find it fascinating how different my experience is each time I reread the Book of Tea. At Tea Book Club, we reread it each year, and it's wonderful to see how members react differently to what Okakura has to say each time. For some, it's the first read ever, for others, the first reread, sometimes in over a decade, and for others, like me, it's a yearly read. But regardless, each time there are new thoughts to consider new inspirations to be had. In many ways, a rereading this classic of tea and with some self-reflection, you get a little insight into where you are in your tea life, in your own tea journey. Where one year archaic turns of phrase may irk, with the next read, these disappear, and the gems of wisdom and thought in its pages float to the surface like so many dancing tea leaves in your cup. Tea Book Club is an international group of tea lovers and readers who meet up virtually each month to discuss the tea books we read. My book reviews are a combination of my own thoughts and those of Tea Book Club members. Here's what Tea Book Club members thought. I read the Bruce Richardson edition. He puts it into context. He offers background that makes it much more enjoyable on this read than it was on the previous read. It's a lot about aesthetics and spirituality. There's not that much information actually on tea. It's way more than just tea, which is what makes it last, I think. An introduction made for Occidentals to understand tea and its philosophy. Intrigued by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of tea biz journalists and tea experts? Remember to visit the T-Biz website for more comprehensive coverage. That's www.t-biz.com.
Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.